Welcome to the High Performance Groundwork podcast. My name is Hugo Menard, and today my guest is Lynn Yap. She started her career as a corporate attorney and worked in investment banking. She is the founder of Activate, which is ACTV and then the number eight. So the Activate Network, whose mission is to increase the participation of women in technology and entrepreneurship. Uh, she's the author of the book, The Altruistic Capitalist, which is about leaders creating a positive impact and profit. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I believe she's also a polyglot or can speak multiple languages. Um, so welcome, and it's good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Hugo. Yeah, so I just wanted to show because that was something I found in the research that you speak eight languages. <laughs> yes, to different degrees, but yes, I, I do speak eight languages. I um, grew up in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, so I grew up bilingual uh, already. And then um, through living in different countries, I've lived in Germany, um, um, Italy, I've worked in Italy, uh, spent summers in, in France. I also picked up languages in that way. And so that's hence eight languages. <laughs> so that, that is very rare. Like, you know, two is okay, three is pretty rare, but eight is that's proper top tier stuff. <laughs> um, different, different, at different levels. I can yeah. say that, I can safely say that if I go into a restaurant in Italy, um, Germany, Spain, France, I can safely order food, which is one of the most important things <laughs> for me. <laughs> I can take care of my stomach. Yep. I heard uh, one bilingual person say the most important sentence to learn is my friend will pay. Um, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah. um, so I just want to jump straight in. Uh, can you talk a bit about what got you to write uh, The Altruistic Capitalist, this book that uh, you've written? Um, so The Altruistic Capitalist was born at the start of COVID. The idea came um, uh, in March of 2020, if you will. Um, but I've always, um, so I've always wanted to write a book, but it didn't quite happen until at that point in time. Um, and what I saw that made me say, all right, this is really the right time was not only that I had more time on my hands, but also I saw how quickly companies, um, public organizations, the community, people came together to solve a global problem. Um, there were needs of masks, of vaccines, and people really came together. Organizations came together to share knowledge, to share um, expertise, um, to share their time, their assets, and resources to help each other. And I thought, well, if we can come together so quickly to solve a global pandemic, why can't we come quickly? Why can't we come together more effectively to solve some of our other global problems? Um, talk about um, homelessness or diversity or even um, climate change. Why can't corporations come together and think about the impact that they're creating to help um, to create value, to create social and environmental value for all of us. So that's um, uh, why I wrote the book. I wanted to share, um, share some of the learnings that I got from interviewing people who work in the space um, to spread the idea that we can use businesses as a force for good to create positive social and environmental impact. Firstly, that's really good to hear because yeah, I think a lot of us have this idea of, you know, looking at companies being like, oh, they don't, you know, that, there's that stereotypical big company that doesn't care about anyone and, and is just in it for their own gain. 
Um, and then of course you also have the opposite of that. So can you talk a bit about um, some of those conversations you had with people and some of those learnings and how to make that idea that a lot of us have into a reality? Um, so I uh, interviewed 50 odd corporate executives, um, nonprofit people who work in nonprofit as well as investors in the space. Um, and there were three things that I pulled out. There were three consistent themes that came out through these conversations. And that was um, mindfulness, um, curiosity, and grit. And grit, how I, how I, I saw that grit being skilled in business is through collaboration. Um, and so starting with mindfulness, it's having, uh, being present to what is, to what's in front of you, to being human with each other, having a respect for each other. And that can come across in something as simple as having a minute's silence before you start a meeting, giving people that space to, to, to settle in, um, to, to be present to what's in front of them and what they want to achieve. Um, that is being mindful and that creates empathy within within the workspace. And that ultimately leads to a better result in the end. And we can go a little bit further later on, but essentially that's what it is. Being mindful creates that empathy, creates, um, uh, creates um, a, a space for people to be better performers at, at the workspace. And secondly, curiosity is, uh, well, asking the questions going behind the assumptions that we might have behind certain problems and really understanding um, what, what the problem is before jumping into creating a, a, a solution. Uh, and so that is also coming up with um, knowing, learning about different topics, working with different people, having a diverse workspace, that is also goes into being curious. And then finally, um, collaboration, working with other people, and that is working across um, working with uh, either public organizations, whether it's with governments or nonprofits. Um, it could also be working with people in your same industry. So the story I like to tell that um, I like to tell is um, the recent collaboration between Adidas and Allbirds, both of whom are sneaker uh, producers. They design and make sneakers, but they have different capabilities. Um, Allbirds in particular um, is very, uh, is known for creating sustainable materials for designing new materials. And Adidas is that, that gigantic marketing machine uh, that, that has, uh, it's a design powerhouse that has made it into the brand it is today. And so they collaborated um, uh, to create a sneaker that has low, uh, the lowest carbon emissions possible. They created a sneaker that's only 20% of what the average sneaker has in terms of carbon emissions. And why they did that, why they did that was because they wanted to reduce the environmental impact and to create value for the community in general, for consumers as well as for the environment. Uh, and that's an example of how um, collaboration um, uh, can, can scale, can scale impact within the community. Mm. And with regards to that collaboration, because I think something that can come up a lot, especially in the structure we have at the moment, is that the competition comes in and you go, you know, it's about how can I get this and not lose anything? And it's this very um, kind of survival mode that a lot of people and companies operate in. Do you have any um, insights on how to 
work with that, which is a very real thing because, you know, so many companies are just trying to stay alive, just trying to hold it together and there are fires everywhere. I think the um, legacy mindset of a dog-eat-dog -dog world, it's a win-lose mindset, I don't think that works today. It doesn't work in terms of innovation, for instance. You cannot have, you cannot be a company that has um, expertise in all the different technologies that, that we have today to create new products. You cannot invest so much and, and try out so many things and be first to the market and come up with the best solution. So I think the best way to do that is to collaborate with people in adjacent industries or even thinking about working with competitors. And the example of Adidas and Allbirds is an interesting one. And it's not the only example of competitors uh, working together. It's because that what they're thinking is thinking in a bigger space. It's not thinking about, all right, this is, this is the market that I'm playing in and I want to grab market share from another person. It's thinking about win-win solutions and what is the bigger overall impact that we want to create? And so with Adidas and Allbirds, they wanted to reduce the environmental impact. They know that the products that they create have um, produced carbon emissions. So how can they work together in order to solve this problem that they're, that they're creating as well? So that's one example. I think another example um, is the one with um, Best Buy and Amazon. Now, um, some years ago, Best Buy, which is a um, retailer of electronic uh, devices, they were um, going through some difficult times. And the CEO that was brought in at the time, Hubert Jolie, uh, was tasked with turning the business around. Now, one of the problems that Best Buy was experiencing was that people were all going to Amazon to buy their gadgets. Best Buy has a huge network of retail stores. And so they would go, they would play with stuff and then they go back to Amazon and buy the products themselves. And so Best Buy would actually lose the sales. Uh, and so one way is for them to just go into a, a, a price battle um, and which means like undercutting their margins to beat Amazon. I mean, that's essentially what it would turn out to be, but that's a waste of resources. And so how essentially how Cuba Jolie turn around Best Buy, the business, is he focused the, the team on purpose. And what is the purpose of the company? What's the, what's the purpose of Best Buy? The team came up with um, the purpose of Best Buy is to empower others through technology. And they focused then on um, a market that was, at that point in time, underserved the, um, aging, the aging population how they could use electronic devices to help them be independent for a longer time. So think about mobility devices, think about connected devices. Um, how is it that they could live independently on their own for a longer time through these devices? And of course, one of those things is Alexa. Uh, and they said, well, okay, um, I, we will offer, instead of competing with Amazon, let, why not collaborate with Amazon? We will offer you the space in our stores to highlight and showcase Alexa, your products, and uh, all the other products like Fire and Kindle and all of that. Um, and so that this will be a win-win for both of for both of us. We want to serve. Um, we Best Buy. We want to serve our market. We want to help 
our consumers live independently for longer, plus other plus the other consumers. But we want to help this particular market to um, to be more mobile for a longer period of time. So let's collaborate and do that. I mean, that collaboration works so well that Amazon actually offered some of their products exclusively to Best Buy just to just to be sold in Best Buy stores. That collaboration also worked very well for Amazon because then um, their customers could actually see Amazon devices and touch and play with them for the first time, which they couldn't before, because Amazon, as you know, operates entirely online. So that was a that's another example of where competitors in the same in you know people competing for the same market, two players competing for the same market, work together instead of pushing wasting resources and pushing each other out um, from the marketplace um, to create a positive impact for the community and at, ultimately for the bottom line as well. Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a pretty cool story. Um, I guess the, also the, the bigger picture in all this, which I think you hear a lot of university students <laughs> rallying against, is the, the bigger structure of capitalism. As a lot of people say, well, the whole, the whole system of capitalism is something that is set up for competition. And while there are uh, different examples, I can certainly understand that other perspective. Do you have any thoughts on that? And I suppose the underlying question is, would, if you could, would you change anything about the system? That's a good question about capitalism. And it's a very big question, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think... Um, I think the survey that, that has been done is about 50% of the population don't believe in capitalism anymore. They don't trust the system. Uh, and I think what is wrong with capitalism at the way it's currently played out is that there's too much of a focus on short-term thinking. Um, uh, there are arguments that uh, incentives, executive uh, incentives are aligned towards um, share price and it's too short-term thinking. Um, but I want, to, I want to start out by saying that it's not a problem of capitalism as it is. Capitalism as a tool, like technology as a tool, it's, it's just a tool. There's nothing good or bad about it. It is the people behind it that use it that maybe then comes up with that, that lead to results that are not necessarily what we want in the end. I think capitalism on its own, results in competition, results in healthy competition. It helps us figure out what is needed, uh, what the market wants. It also helps with innovation and creativity. So I think capitalism as it is, is, is not bad on, on its own as a tool, as a concept. Um, it's just how it is currently played out that has resulted in this short-term perspective. And this started in 1970 um, when Milton Friedman penned an article in the New York Times where he, well, essentially the title was the social responsibility of business is to increase profits. Uh, and, and if you just look at that title, that is, that is what a lot of businesses do today. We just focus on profits. But if you read deeper into that article, he does have certain caveats um, as a lot of economists do. <laughs> they have lots of conditions and caveats that, that, um, that go beyond just looking at, at profits. And that has turned around slightly. Um, a couple of years ago, the Business Roundtable came up and said, well, it's not 
the respons the responsibility of corporations is not just to focus on profits. We need to look at other stakeholders of the business. So that's employees. We need to invest in our employees. We need to ensure fair treatment of our suppliers. We need to invest in our local communities. Um, we need to think about the consumers, what value we're giving to the consumers. So there has been a shift in the last few years um, to look more into how is it that we can create longer term value for all shareholders, that's for all stakeholders, and that includes shareholders, consumers, employees, suppliers, uh, and communities. Yeah. Tall order. <laughs> yes. Well, it is one of those things that seems to be so big that, and I'd just love to have your opinion on this, that it seems to be that we need to begin the change in small steps with those collaborations that begin to work things differently. Um, do you think that that's the way to go of starting from the kind of bottom up in a sense of having those small changes? Or do you think it's more of a, a top down shift or maybe both or a middle out? Um, how do you see that kind of happening? I, I think we should not be afraid of taking small steps towards um, a bigger solution. Um, there is no, no action that is too small um, to create change. We just have to take the first step. We can't just keep, we can't just keep talking about it. But at the same time, there needs to be a top-down um, type approach as well. I think governments have their hand to play. It's not just um, a sole business entrepreneur taking, making steps and making a change through its own business. I think um, everyone has a role to play. We as in, um, investors, we as consumers, we as uh, employees, uh, businesses, governments, nonprofits, everyone has a role to play in terms of solving um, some of the bigger problems that we're seeing in our community, um, whether it's, it's related to diversity, related to healthcare, related to like the global pandemic, related to um, even climate change. There are, we need everyone on board to, to move that wheel. And just because the problem is too big, doesn't mean that we should be afraid and just stay and just and just stay where, where we are. It's more important that all of us take a little step because together we can make that that wheel turn. We can make that difference. Yeah. And in making that wheel turn, do you see any uh, any kind of uh, what's the word like challenges in getting from where we are now to a place where things are more functioning and are taking into account people other than shareholders? Do you see like a, I don't know what to call that, like a, a struggle between those two things where we have to like experience a lot of pain before we get to the nice paradise on the other side, if, there is, if that is a paradise? Um, so if I understand correctly, um, the question is, what are some of the challenges that stop people from taking action at the moment or that, that lead to inaction? So that, that is a question that also I'd be interested in. Um, <laughs> the question I was asking is from getting where we are now to this place where things are working in a more functional way, is there going to be a kind of, um, would there be like withdrawal symptoms? Or like, would that transition be a painful transition at all? Or can it be smooth? 
Is that does that make sense? Um, to yeah, uh, to a certain extent, yes. I, I think some of the um, change is never easy. Change is never easy, but I think we do have a catalyst um, that has occurred in the last eighteen months. Um, that is pushing companies to thinking a bit more, and that's um, shift in expectations from consumers, people wanting more meaning from work, people wanting companies to take action, uh, businesses to take action. There's also a lot of regulation that's coming down the pipeline that's related to whether it's diversity on board, senior management, um, related to environment, related to climate change. So I think there's um, a lot of movement uh, and push and 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 that is that is happening that is moving people over that that hump of change. Um, I think there has been a, an awakening in the last eighteen months or so where people are realizing yes we need to not just focus on profits and that's coming that's coming through. But change is not an easy one, um, especially if it's a change in mindset and change of um, how business is typically has always been done or has been done in the last um, la last 50 years or so. Um, but it, it is happening slowly but surely. Um, yeah, and I, I think that if you don't kind of get on board a stakeholder capitalism wagon, you will be left behind by competitors. Yeah, and so now to get to the question that you came up with for yourself, um, what are some of those challenges in, in making this shift? So I think in, with individuals is sometimes um, seeing the problem is too big, like, oh my God, this climate change, me just being that one person, what is it that I can do? Um, and I think um, just knowing that if we all did something, if we even share the news and spread the news of what we're doing, that and that influences someone else, that will help bring more people along. And that is how we can get the world, the wheels to, to start turn, uh, the wheel mm -hmm. to start turning. Um, because if we just think like, oh, this is such a big problem and, and oh, I, I can't do anything about it anyway, I can't solve this problem, um, then nobody will take any action. And that's a recipe for disaster, really. Uh, I think we all need to think about um, what are the little steps that we can do, because we all have the power collectively to make a difference. Yeah. And I think that that's a really powerful idea that, as you said at the beginning, that, you know, when we come together in that collective power can really do tremendous mm -hmm. things. Um, yeah. Yeah, can you touch on a little bit more? Uh, you mentioned the three um, mindsets. You said uh, mindfulness, curiosity, yeah. and grit. Could you touch on those and, and or delve into those a little bit more? Of course. Um, so mindfulness, um, I hinted a little bit before. It's uh, about having uh, being present and having empathy for the people around you, and what that is, it helps as well when you have a um, perspective of another person, if you uh, focus, and this hints a little bit to the altruistic uh, in, the, in the title, if you are focused on the other perspective, you are better able to create solutions to problems. Just hearing, oh, what is it like to um, be the only female or be, being the only minority in the room? How is it that we can be more inclusive and have more equitable workplaces, for instance. So having that empathy 
helps, I think, to create helps to create a positive um, social impact, which ultimately leads to have um, uh, a business impact and business value as well. Because we do going going sticking to the diversity example, we do want to have diverse voices. We want to have diverse opinions and diverse perspectives within our workspace because that enables us to have a richer conversations, deeper conversations, and that can lead to better performing, a better performing workforce. Um, so that's empathy. And in terms of curiosity, that is not being afraid to say, I don't know. Um, that's um, not being afraid to learn new things and to take risks and to have a culture that is um, willing to accept failure because only from then we can learn and we can create. And, and so not having the perfect solution to um, let's say um, let's say homelessness, um, for instance, it's it's not an issue. It's asking the questions: or why why do we have homelessness in this particular community? What is that person experiencing? Uh, and rather than assuming, oh, that person is just lazy and just wants to live on the streets or something. I mean, you have so many. Uh, I'm 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 making this up, but we have assumptions about people and about problems. But if we just dive a little bit deeper and ask the questions um, and to a certain extent have empathy to also want to be in that, to understand that person's situation, if you ask the questions rather than um, just work on our assumptions, we can then also come up with better solutions to, um, to the problems that we are, that we are seeing in the, in the world uh, and, and solve them together. So that's related to curiosity. Um, uh, one thing, the other thing is um, uh, that's related to curiosity. I want to to add is um, to be curious uh, about how you can be better. So asking for feedback as well. I think that helps us improve generally, and and um, and not not to be afraid to give feedback, and not to be afraid to ask feedback, because that's how how all of us can can grow and learn and develop better solutions from from each other. So that's um, related on curiosity. Uh, and in terms of grit, uh, I will go back to the whole collaboration thing. The only way in which we can scale the impact and solve some of the problems is to collaborate um, together. I think grit, grit is, uh, to, to borrow from Angela Duckworth, who wrote the book, Grit, uh, it's a combination of uh, passion and perseverance. Uh, and um, when I talk about, when I, when I look at perseverance, I like to think about it as an athlete. The way athletes train and persevere is they train with other people. Um, even um, even marathon runners, they train in a group. They don't just practice on their own. I mean, yes, they do on runs on their own, but it's also a whole team behind them that helps them carry out throughout their training journey in order that they complete that marathon. Um, and so to have perseverance, you have a team around you and to have a team around you, there's that collaboration. And so that's how I go from grit, um, perseverance and collaboration. Uh, and, and by collaboration, think about who are the people that can, that have the same purpose, that have the, want to solve the same problems, have the same values, um, who can you work with in, in the universe, in, in your map of people that you know and within your network, how can you bring along in your journey to, in order to solve the problems, the same problems? 
and, and so those are the three different mindsets that I believe can help us create a positive impact on communities, uh, uh, on the environment, and also ultimately then business value. Yeah, and I, I think it certainly wouldn't do any harm. That's pretty much 100% guarantee. So I think we're only going in the right direction there. Something that I'm really interested in is, because I see this a lot, people are working in a company and they feel like, well, this is a company that doesn't really have these mindsets or is, you know, the people that I see around me aren't empathetic towards me when I need to do my project or whatever. Do you have anything you might say or any words of wisdom to someone who's in that position is looking around and isn't seeing empathy? Is that something that they should bring? Are there any challenges if they do bring that in the face of everyone else not have not bring that to the table? I, I think my first question to someone like that, um, and I imagine as you were speaking, it's someone that's fairly young or fairly junior in an organization. And so perhaps um, is, is a little bit more hesitant to, to speak. Um, my question to that person would be, why not? What's, what, what could go wrong? Uh, what, what harm could it do if you just spoke up and shared what you thought? And a recent example, um, a personal example is um, someone I, I know had read my book and actually shared um, actually shared uh, one of the exercises that, that is um, done in the book in a meeting that he was doing. Uh, and he is, um, you know, he is fairly young in the organization. He's a project manager. And he actually said, oh, shall we start our meetings this way? Um, one of the things that he tried was actually the minute silence um, before the start of each meeting. And it changed, and it changed the tone of the entire um, conversation. Um, and he was encouraged for them to also continue to make, um, to, to start that habit in his other meetings. And I think you are never too small to make an impact. The quote I like to, to say is, um, if you're too small to, if you think you're too small to make an impact, try sleeping with a mosquito. You're, you're really not too small to, no one is too small to make an impact. You don't know what how you might change someone's life or someone's perspective by what you do or by what you say. Yeah. I, I had a friend who had that quote on her t-shirt every time. So I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other uh, exercises? Cause you mentioned those, that, that one silent, are there any other exercises that um, in the conversations you've had or that are written in the book that you might be able to share? Uh, another quick one is before you send out an email, especially when you get an email that is perhaps has triggered you in a certain way and you just want to write, <laughs> you're just very upset about what the person has written. Um, sometimes it helps, I would encourage. Sometimes it helps to take uh, a step back, walk away from your desk, um, cool off a little bit, and then come back later on. Consider. Could this have been meant in a different way? How else could I respond to it? Because um, one thing is um, one thing is to increase the time between the incident and your response, because that gives you time to be mindful and to be present to what 
um, to what impact yet you want to create. And you can control how you decide to respond. If you, res if you react rather than respond, then you will not no longer have control of your impact. But by increasing that time between what is happening and your response, you are better able to consider, okay, this, this is then the result or the impact of my action. So, yeah. um, so with work emails, for instance, if you're just tempted to fire off another uh, uh, angry response, um, take a few minutes, step away, take a breath, and then come back later to, to look at it. You can go and have a coffee or have a tea, uh, take a walk. Um, and, it, and it sometimes changes how things turn out in a, in a work conversation. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think about all of the different kind of um, what objections that people would have, because I know that the, the way we work now is so entrenched. It, it's so kind of common to just be worked that way. Um, and one of the things is, is like you mentioned, you have emails. Sometimes you have way too many emails and all of this work to do. So what would you say to someone who... Um, you know, maybe is a little bit higher up, maybe they're a team leader or something and their plate is completely overflowing. They have so much to do. And they're just thinking, well, I just need to get these things done and I don't have time for this whole empathy, curiosity, minute of silence thing. Um, I know that there are like, there's research that shows the contrary, but I know that that's very entrenched. I'm wondering if you have any, um, any wisdom or thoughts on that. Um, I, I have a few examples actually where it's even more important, the more senior you are, the more responsibility you have, and the more emails and phone calls and meetings you have to take, the more important it is to take that time out. Uh, and so, for instance, Bob Iger, he was the CEO of Disney, he would have that two hours in the morning, he would wake up at four in the morning, and he has that a time for himself to think and reflect and consider what are the important things that he wants and what he wants to achieve. Um, Satya Nadella of Microsoft also um, has this practice um, at the start of his day. Um, he wakes up in the morning, he puts his feet on the ground, and then he thinks, um, what am I grateful for today? And that's also about being mindful and being present to, um, to be present to that, to that moment. And what I like about that gratitude exercise. I think a gratitude exercise is quite important. It helps us see what we have rather. Um, it helps us see what we have and that when we, when, we, when we feel that, we are able then to connect dots a little bit easier and therefore come up with more, we become more creative and therefore come up with more innovative solutions. So that is another exercise that I, um, that I quite like. Um, just take uh, a few minutes in your day, it's like, what are the things that I'm grateful? For? What are the three things that I'm really grateful for? Um, uh, and 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 to really mean it, rather than just rattle off, oh, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my health, but really yeah. feel it and and even perhaps be specific about it, and that creates a space in our mind to do more things. Mm. And would you say that there are different? Um kind of slight tweaks to these mindsets depending on, on, on where someone is in an organization, whether it's their 
first day or they're a team leader or they're a C-level uh, C executive of some kind. Are there tweaks to that at all? Or have you found that these principles work throughout? I believe these principles work throughout because it doesn't matter whether we're 20 or 60 or 70, we're still human and we have more or less the same needs. Um, doesn't matter where we live or, or, or where we are in an organization, we, um, we still um, are if we're social creatures. Um, we want to learn and want to grow. We want meaning in our work. And so these mindsets, um, they might be practiced in different ways depending on preference, but um, I think these mindsets apply regardless of where you sit in your organization. So I also spoke to um, people who had just graduated from university and just started their business um, and people who have um, retired and they have uh, different ways of practicing, <clears throat> excuse me, they have different ways of practicing um, mindfulness or being curious. It's just um, their own preference rather than the traits or qualities themselves. Yeah. This is all really um, encouraging. The, the more I talk to people um, about these issues, um, it seems like a very hopeful future in the face of a work environment that I so often see people coming back looking really depressed from. Um, I'm just thinking where to take it from here. So what do you see the kind of effect of this in terms of a, uh, like corporate wellness specifically for staff in terms of if we have these uh, different mindsets um, and we create this change, are there any bigger ripple effects that might not be obvious from where we are right now? Um, so with these mindsets, I think then <clears throat> overall employee engagement in increases. Um, people are people are more engaged at work. That therefore people will stay longer at their jobs, um, and ultimately leads to better performance at work. And if there's better performance at work, there's more business value that's created. You are um, probably better creating better products for your consumers. Um, and it's likely that you also will take care of the environment and the community because people want to create, want to do meaningful work. And so how is it that through our work, we can help our communities? How is it that we can not just preserve, but regenerate our environment? Um, so I think by focusing uh, on our employees and taking care of their well-being, uh, we are able then to create um, all these other impacts across the other business stakeholders. I yeah. think it actually starts with, with employees. Yeah. And one of the big reasons, and we were talking about this before I, I hit the record button, one of the big reasons that I, I'm starting this podcast is I really think that starting the conversation on corporate wellness is one of the first steps. Like once we can understand that problem a bit better. Um, do you see any specific or types of conversations that would be beneficial to have to, as you say, begin that wheel moving forward in any way? Um, and that can be specifically with regards to this um, capitalist uh, mindset uh, mm -hmm. or altruistic capitalist mindset or uh, something completely different. 
excuse me. Um, so I have talked to a few organizations that have implemented um, mindfulness, um, meditation, um, employee wellness type programs. Um, Google has something like that. Uh, Hilti, a production company in, in um, Europe, it has something like that. Um, Siemens, uh, based in Germany, also has a meditation program. And what um, it does is it creates that empathetic, um, people are more respectful, people listen more, um, and ultimately become better performing because there's less stress at work. Um, people perform better at, at work. And how it starts, it's, it starts with somebody saying, hey, I, I, I see that this issue, there's this issue um, and I want to have something. And it might start small, it might start with a group of five, might start with a group of 10, might start with a group of 20. But in the end, in these different companies, it has grown and it has scaled um, throughout the organization. Mm. And because you started writing this at the beginning of COVID, Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, that aspect of curiosity and that conversation in the face of a lot of work, which is remote, do you have any uh, tips or ideas on having that conversation be a, a bit more organic and human? As I think a lot of us can kind of feel distant from everyone because we just close the laptop and then everyone's disappeared <laughs> from our office. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say I'm actually quite grateful um, for for the current way that we're working because I don't think I would have completed the book in such a short time, but for the way we work currently. It's also more environmentally friendly because I saved a lot in terms of traveling and commuting to different meetings. Everything was just conducted on Zoom. Yeah. Um, now, uh, to your point about how is it that we can create that human connection with each other online you you can just as you just as just as in in-person meetings where you can take a moment to check in with that person you can also have that check-in with that person when you start an online conversation and i've had quite a few because the everyone i interviewed uh, i wouldn't say 95% of the people I interviewed were people that I did not know before. I started with maybe like five people I knew, and then it kind of just grew from there. And, the, and I generally start my conversation with, um, how are you doing and where are you? Those are very simple questions, very human questions, and people appreciate that. You take the time to really listen to them. And I mean really listen to them rather than just, hey, how are you doing? And then you just launch into your agenda. It's how are you doing? I'm here and I'm listening. And you say that because you, 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 because you feel that, you say that it comes across even through online. Yeah. So I, 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 think, I think energy comes across even, <laughs> even, through, even through Zoom. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I, I personally think the vibe is one of the least understood, most useful things we can learn about like our own vibe and also picking up on other people's vibes um it can just save so much pain and time and challenges if you if you can just kind of tune into that a bit more mm-hmm. just as we kind of come to the end of this are there any other um stories in your book 
or that aren't in your book that you particularly liked or fond of that you haven't shared so far? Uh, that's a good question. I've talked about a lot of the, my favorite stories from, yeah. uh, from the book. Um, I, I guess the final message I like to, um, I, I like to end with is, is don't be afraid to, to take action today. Uh, don't be afraid to tell someone else what you learned today. Um, just, just take that first step. And that's how we can get that wheel going together. Um, because you'd never, you, you, you never know what something you do might be seen by someone else or what you say might be heard by someone else that will change that person's perspective. Actually, I just thought of a, a particular story, a personal story. Um, a close friend of mine, um, when she organized her wedding, everything about the wedding was sustainable um, from the menu to um, the, the, um, the way things were organized. Instead of flowers, for instance, she said, bring apples instead. So everyone brought an apple, right? <laughs> because, it, you know, that is more sustainable. It uh, helps with your health. Uh, if it's, yeah, it, it was more sustainable in, in her perspective. Um, and one of the guests at the wedding was so moved by the thought that had gone into every single detail from the, 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 the tablecloths to the food choices to the, 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 the vendors that she used. One person was so moved by it that that person started recycling after the wedding, which I thought was quite, quite a funny story. And that person was an older guest that had never recycled in their life. And that, you know, the thought and effort that had gone into organizing the wedding um, moved, that, moved that person to start recycling. And so I like to encourage people, don't be afraid to, to just show what you really believe uh, and to take that first step. Yeah, that actually brings up just one final question I'd like to ask is, how much of this change do you see is attributed to uh, the younger new generation coming through um, in terms of if you have lived you know, if someone is, say, like 60 now, they've lived their whole life in a particular kind of capitalist mindset. Is that something that you see as um, realistically and... What's a different word? Not so much realistically, but sort of easily and comfortably changed? Or do you see is this change coming more about through just a younger generation who is starting to see more in terms of caring about climate change and that being a much more present uh, thing? That's a good question, Hugo. I, I think a lot of that is coming from the younger generations, uh, starting with millennials. I don't know if you consider that um, younger generation, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, the millennials as well as pushing that change through the workplace. Uh, and and um, na naturally for people who have lived um, longer and done things a certain way and have a different perspective, things have shifted. And it's not that they have a wrong perspective, it's things that have, have shifted. And to have that change requires a little bit more reprogramming or resetting of mindset. And there's nothing right or wrong about that. Again, it's just that things have, have shifted and the shift is starting from the young generation, which is, which is often the case, I think. Yeah. And I think that's a really good note to end on, that it's just shifting. 
uh, not necessarily like good or bad. We just kind of thought one way and now we're realizing more and that will probably continue till the end of time. Um, yes, humankind, <laughs> we, we evolve, we learn more things and things shift. There's, there was nothing wrong at that point in time. Now we have more information. Things have shift, uh, shifted uh, and the, the planet is dying slowly. So we need to shift the way we do things. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Um, do you, uh, if someone wants to contact you or get your book, um, where can they do that? And uh, yeah, any info you want to give on that? I love to hear from people always. Um, any questions, people can directly email me at lynn, L-Y-N-N, at altruisticcapitalist.com. And if you want to buy my book, you can also find it on altruisticcapitalist.com. But please, uh, I love to hear from people. So directly email me there. I'm also on Instagram as the Altruistic Capitalist. Awesome. And I'll put that information in the description if anyone is worried about um, I know finding the exact spelling or whatever, that'll, that'll be in there. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really good to get your, your insights on this and yeah, all the work you've put into your book. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Cheers.